0: Welcome to Generations Unbound, the podcast where we explore the ways in which past traumas and societal expectations shape our lives today. In this episode, we'll be hearing from an academic from the University of Warwick. As we know, the impact of historical events such as war, colonisation and discrimination can have lasting effects on individuals and communities. These traumas can be passed down through generations affecting our attitudes, behaviours and relationships. And when it comes to pursuing higher education, the weight of these expectations can be especially heavy. Okay, so hello, I'm Sophie. I'm your host for this episode. And I'm joined today by an academic from the University of Warwick, Dr. Dimitra Hartas. Would you like to introduce yourself, Dr. Dimitra?
1: Hello. It's, thank you very much for inviting me. It's lovely being here. Uh, as you said, I'm Dimitra Hartas and I'm an associate professor at the Department for Education Studies at the University of Warwick. Um, much of my research um, examines parenting, child development, well-being, academic performance uh, through a social class and socioeconomic lenses. So I would be happy to contribute to the discussion today. I mean, it is uh, quite uh, a fascinating topic, um, and it's interesting that obviously we need to approach it from uh, a multidisciplinary perspective.
0: Yeah, it's great. So one of the first questions I'm gonna ask you is, um, could you share some of the insights from your research on the extent to which parents influence adolescents academic choices and future career decisions that people may
1: not be aware of? Um, As I said, I've been doing this research for quite a long time now. And one of the key insights that I have gained is that the external forces that surround individuals and families are much more influential than parenting alone Um, as parents we always like to think that we can have a a significant influence on our children's lives and and we do certainly we do but not necessarily in terms of um, achieving certain outcomes or in terms of um, uh, you know lining all the ducks for our children's lives Um, What I I found is that uh, parenting is important. However, socioeconomic forces and the way they manifest in families in terms of financial resources, cultural capital, social capital, are quite influential in shaping young people's educational aspirations. Um, if If we listen to this policy discourses Um, there is so much emphasis being placed on families and parents becoming aspirant. And I would like to state that there is no such a thing as a culture uh, of lack of aspiration or aspiration poverty. There is a lot of aspiration in families um, and and families and parents across socioeconomic groups have high aspirations for the children, however the question is whether in certain circumstances, and when families um, experience um, adverse uh, circumstances, our you know high aspirations actually are a realistic option. Yeah, or perhaps you know something that we wish support, but never b- having the means to actualize and realize. Um, In one of the studies that I did, which examined um, parenting and children's um, educational aspirations, Uh what I found was, uh, I thought was quite interesting, Um, I found that it was not the instrumental things that parents do with their children. So for example, homework or any school-driven activities, that seem to matter when it comes to educational aspirations. But what mattered was a wider culture of learning that is not specific or that is not school targeted necessarily but it's still learning so for example activities that parents engage children in extracurricular activities uh conversations at home visits uh, libraries or theater uh cultural activities uh tutoring you know it's all this sort of that we tend to associate with middle-class practices and middle-class parenting. Yes. Um, And yes, these do have uh, sort of a wider impact in terms of supporting a young person to to understand the world and understand their place in it. Yeah. But more sort of school-driven approaches such as homework or, um, uh, you know, or making sure, you know, that... um, um, or. Whatever the school asks, we do, didn't necessarily make any difference. Right. Or much difference. Yeah. In fact, there has been some research on parenting and homework that suggests um, a sort of a negative relationship uh-huh. between parental involvement and, and homework um, and academic performance. Yeah. And, and you would have thought that perhaps, I mean, there may be a reason why normally parents tend to get involved a lot in yeah. homework when the kids already struggle at school. So there isn't anything that they struggle already and through that process of engaging with homework, they try to support them. Right. Um, But um, I suppose it seems to me that from all the research that I have done so far, you know, if I can sort of try to boil it down, I would say it's not just what parents do only, uh, that matters, but also who the parents are yeah, who the parents are in terms of the resources—not only financial, but also human resources, cultural yeah. resources, social resources—that exist within the family—and uh, they are very much, you know, um, important in terms of shaping children's academic outcomes. Right. Uh, I mean, we're talking in policy circles about the achievement gap between, you know, middle-class families and 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 families who experience socioeconomic disadvantage yeah. or families who experience poverty. And we see that actually this so, so, the achievement gap is very much uh, socioeconomically driven.
0: Right, yes. yes. It's not because of this, lack yeah. of
1: aspiration or because parents are not doing their best. And, and I think this has quite significant implications, especially nowadays as we go through the cost of living crisis. Right, yeah. It's important to sort of remember these sort of things so yeah um so yeah if if it is that insight that I can take is that when we look at educational aspirations in young people you need to look not only the family and what the parents do but the wider socioeconomic and and so- social structures
0: yes uh, definitely. the the
1: constraints and affordances that surround families because then we can really understand exactly you know what the real drivers of the achievement gap are, Definitely. Um, and, and and the real drivers that can actually compromise children's life chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I must say I
0: I can I can relate to what you say about um, cultural capital and the impact that has on a child's educational aspirations because growing up my parents are always taking me to what would be considered culturally rich activities. I'd always go to museums, I'd always go to art galleries, I'd go to the theatre, I'd even go to ballets. I think that really shaped my view of the world and how I saw it as a more like a cultural space. If you're growing up and your family aren't aware of cultural activities like that, or they do not have the income to take you to those places, then you're basically denied like a whole sort of area of the world that you're you're not aware of and I think that sort of led me down to do my media degree because although I didn't initially think I'd want to do media when I was younger because of all the information and all the trips i had been on with my family I naturally felt interested in it because I had knowledge about it the more the more you learn when you're younger the more likely you are to think oh
1: yeah I can see myself fitting into that industry or into that career and in you saw yourself relating to that relating yeah. to this sort of uh uh, perspective of the world where you you know it's, it's culture rich yes and you and, and you see culture as a source of nourishment yes and a source of inspiration i mean on this on this topic there is there was a very interesting a seminal study right. that was done by socio- um, an american sociologist annette LaRoe. Uh, annette LaRoe um uh, published her findings in a book called unequal child right and there she you know what what she found that was something very interesting she found that you know how different parents from different socioeconomic groups relate to their children yeah and and she talked about two interesting concepts the concept of concerted cultivation yeah that's something that mostly happened in middle class families parents engage with their children um, you know, help them to engage with cultural activities and so on and so forth. Yeah. But also, the parents themselves are educated. They know how to talk to the teachers. They know how to uh, access support um, in in their communities. They know, you know, how to uh, engage with institutions. Yeah. Uh, they they have the language. They have the vocabulary to do this. So. Right. Yeah. And more sort of working class families engaging with. Not consulted cultivation, but with natural growth. Right. It's like trying to, to provide their kids that you know the, the, the things that they need to do in order to grow in terms of a roof over the head, yeah. food on the table, you know, the sort of the basics as we call them. Yeah. Um and it wasn't just because these parents have uh, sort of a different uh, perspective as about childhood and how to raise a child. Yeah. It was because you know the circumstances that if they, they were able to do whatever they could do for the children yeah um so i thought that was a very interesting study and, and, and quite influential uh because again i mean if, if you look sort of read policy policy initiatives and policy discussions yeah uh they very much focus on the parent being you know um mm. the be all and all when it comes to children's uh academic allotment and educational aspirations, so actually we see actually that's not the case. Right, know? yeah. Certainly so not not the case. Great, great. Okay, let's move on to another question. Um.
0: So how would you say you see the role of parents evolving in the context of changing societal dynamics and their influence on academic decisions, particularly with the, you know, the relevance of the cost of the living crisis at the moment? No,
1: absolutely. I mean, Uh, I think that's a very interesting question because, as a society, uh, we go through very significant transformations. I mean, COVID-19 was very much a trigger. Yes. Um, And I would say the pandemic, in a sense, uh, laid there existing inequalities in society. Yeah. So sort of magnified them or showed us what happens when societies are unequal, in a sense. Yeah. So we, we got a very good taste of what can happen you know, when an external sort of event, like a pandemic, actually hits us. Um, but um, what is important to understand here is that we need to start talking about resilience, not, not as an individuated concept, um, not, not as something that only happens within the families or within the child. You have a resilient child, or not a very resilient child, but I might see that more as being sort of sociologically constructed, in a sense. And I think that this does require a paradigm shift of a sort, uh, because as we go through crisis, well, cost of living crisis, I think we need to become more aware of that, um, and and to sort of look more, uh, try to understand how social harm actually affects individual lives. and and try to understand you know just what what are the direct variables what are the direct factors that seem to affect individual family individuals as well as families especially this is particularly important for young people because there seems to be um, a sort of a lot of emphasis on self-improvement you know that's a continuous self-improvement as a way of dealing with the you know what the world brings to us yeah uh, and I think there is a limit and we do see the pressure that is be, that places on young people um, especially and it's not just only during the pandemic even pre-pandemic we see quite a significant rise in mental health problems especially you know the teenagers particularly teenage girls self-harm uh suicidal ideation um psychological distress are all you know on the rise right yeah. uh, and that's not just because as some sometimes people say oh it's because we talk more about mental health now yeah. yes of course we do and i think that's good but i think there, there are some uh, other pinning societal processes here yeah but actually have created a lot of toxicity, social toxicity, in young people's lives. Right. Um, so, if we have to think you know, about aspirations and about um, how the different so- societal dynamics affect aspirations, yes. we really need to go back a little bit and examine you know, well-being. Well-being, not as an individuated concern, but as something, as a society we try to pursue and uh, ensure that our children are are supported. So, yes, I think um, I'm not a pessimist, but as we go through crisis, I think these issues will become more and more magnified.
0: Mm, definitely, yeah. I I remember at the beginning of the pandemic when I was doing my A-levels and um, hearing about in the news children who didn't have access to the internet at home or didn't have a computer or a laptop Or anything really to do homework, and the sort of the sort of chasm of like the the classes like middle class children would have their own laptop and um would have access to Wi Fi all the time, and then children from a lower socio economic background would have absolutely nothing. And sometimes it would take months. For you know the government did you know fund a lot of free laptops and things to go out to schools, but it did take a while. And you start to think about what was the impact on those children's education in those months where they weren't able to access anything
1: that's a very that's a very you know that's a stark example of what happens you know when a crisis hits us uh, and when inequality is already entrenched in a society yeah and then the crisis magnifies that and perhaps carry that into the next generation create creating extra trauma if you will yeah Um, yeah and and, and in, in circumstances as the ones that you just described, well, it doesn't matter how aspiring the parent is yeah. and how they want you know, their kids to do well academically and to, to, to pursue a universe, you know, university studies. Ultimately, the, the, the circumstances that surround their lives matter here. Uh, and, and these are the, the key determinants for the success. Yes. Would you say that
0: there's been... A- in recent years like uh, a shift in like what type of students are taking particular degrees because i know a lot more women are now uh, studying or have graduated from stem degrees for example there's been a real sort of like decline in um arts education you know funding in universities has been cut i know that there's a university in the uk that um decided to get rid of its entire i think it was its english department or something
1: Yes, oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, we do see these trends and they are worrying trends. Um, and, and, but, but at the same time you can understand them because uh, a degree has become a luxury of a sort. Yeah. So So it's something that you really need to invest, a lot of effort, a lot of you know financial resources for a family. And thus there is a kind of idea that, okay, you know, you've got to come up, you, you know, you've got to go down the route of a STEM degree of a STEM subjects, because then you're more likely yeah. to actually access, uh, you know, the job market. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, as opposed to pursuing education and pursuing a degree to, mm-hmm. to become a better human being. Uh, so there has been, uh, you know, the commercial, the, the marketization of education obviously has a lot to answer.
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Would you say there are any um, specific like factors or variables that parents should be mindful of in order to positively influence their children's academic choices and future career decisions, considering the impact of generational trauma?
1: Yes, of course, of course. I suppose um, parents perhaps can, can can make use of some support for them to understand, you know, how to access services i suppose a key variable is access to services access to support in their communities public services and again that is another uh, sort of area of concern considering that um you know nowadays with the cost of living crisis and the continuing austerity we do see the demise of many uh services for example mental health services are not available to a large number of of, of people, there are significant waiting lists to access mental health. Um, so for so yes, it's access to services. I suppose a key variable here, in terms of you know parents being supported to support the children to access services yes. and and to aspire. Um, but but most importantly, I think um, sometimes um, all this emphasis on parenting can have. Se- you know, an unintended uh, sort of consequence or unintended effects, uh, parents become less confident about themselves and about how to parent the children. Yeah. Uh, because again, there is a lot of sort of debates about parents. Well, th- th- there is a paradox, actually. On the one hand, you hear about parents needing support, needing to engage in parenting programs in order to be able to learn. and. Get some advice on how to parent the children, uh, and on the other hand, there is the kind of discourse that actually parents are responsible to uh, sort of uh, narrow the achievement gap. Yeah. So, so, so I suppose parents receive conflicting messages here, and and that can have a detrimental effect in, into how they view themselves as parents and right, yeah. and, and how guilty they're made to feel in terms of what, what they offer to the children and, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and how useful actually it is what they offer to the children and whether, you know, they question themselves, whether they internalize failure. Yeah. And I think that's what it boils down to internalizing failure. So, yes, if we have to look at variables, let's look at most of what happens around us and in, t- in our communities and what kind of support that we can collectively access. Yeah can be can can have a significant impact
0: yeah yeah i think i think it's very interesting that you know a lot of the time the focus is placed solely on the parent's shoulders exactly it's all down to them that is why like it's down to them what their children do in the future you know oh so and so went to go and do medicine and that's why she's like for example my friend from home she's studying medicine at cardiff um and her father is a lung doctor and her mum was a nutritionist. Yes. And they both actively discouraged her from going into medicine because they know exactly what it's like. And she was still absolutely, she took a year out to reflect on, does she definitely want to do it? And she decided, yeah, I absolutely do want to do it. And she's going to be a fantastic doctor because um she's such a lovely person. And she's also got those amazing, like, um skills of like just being able to remember so much information we always used to see her as like the smartest person in the school so she's really the ideal person to become a doctor but even then the, i think more of the um sort of her uncertainty about whether she wanted to pursue that career because becoming a doctor is a very and it's a difficult decision to make as it is here all yeah i mean yes um so yeah so she made that decision but even after she made that decision and she you know, she's doing very well at university i think more of that like uncertainty around the like um academic choice she made to pursue medicine it was more from in herself rather than her parents her parents were nothing but supportive and everything so i think sometimes it's actually maybe down to like the information children are given throughout um sort of the early years of education
1: it's, it's those implicit implicit messages yeah. uh, and information that kids are exposed to in a family so it's not necessarily a parent say oh, you need to pursue a career in medicine. But, yeah. you know, the kind of lifestyle they're exposed pretty much shape their, their views and, and you know, and, and probably your friend felt, oh, this is a field that I can relate to somehow. Yes, yeah, uh, exactly. It's not a foreign country, you know, somewhere. Something I can relate to, something that I have experienced through my parents. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Would you say there are any further research or maybe gaps in the literature that you believe need more exploration in order to better understand the interplay
1: between Oh, I ser- <laughs> oh certainly there is a lot of research absolutely. I mean uh, I am a psychologist by training and of course I do operate within the field of psychology and, and one of the key concerns is that as probably I mentioned that already is that kind of perspective that we take uh, the psychological perspective that we take uh, when we think about aspirations and when we think about children's well-being as being something that is located within the individual even sometimes a form of of individual failing of a sort Um, it's a deficit perspective and yes we do what we're aware of that and we try to move away from it but I think we need to sort of Taking more sort of wider sociological lenses um, when we examine well-being and aspiration resilience uh, in young people, yeah. and and try to understand that these constructs are multidimensional and need to approach them as being multidimensional, yeah. And and in order to examine them, you know, uh, try to understand uh, the, the wider context of people's lives. Employment, education, health, um, it, the sort of the sense of community that they have, the, the sense of trust in the community uh, uh, where then they engage with their communities you know civic engagement all these are important variables that we seem not to engage with when we try to understand aspirations and and well-being and I think that's what uh, future research should it's not an easy, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly much easier to give a questionnaire to a young person and ask them about psychological distress and yeah. about personal perspectives of well-being. And it's certainly much more difficult yeah. to try to understand the, the wider drivers in their lives. But actually, what does it mean to live in, in a neighborhood or in a community where social trust is very limited when you experience or you're likely to experience violence or antisocial behavior, behavior, um, reduced circumstances, the uh, dep- different forms of deprivation. Yeah. Uh, when, as you said, you go to school or when there are no laptops for you <laughs> or you don't have Wi-Fi at home. So, so we've got to really widen our lenses when it comes to examining those concepts. Yeah. I think that's future research should focus on, on the dimensionality in understanding human experience and young people's experienced life
0: yeah, yeah, that's a great perspective. would you say that um would you would you give what advice would you give to maybe people who uh considering higher education and yeah just any any advice because you know students will be listening to this podcast and wondering um you know it's a very it's it's a very hard decision to make what university you want to go to whether you want to pursue higher education at all? what exact degree from your, all your your experience working
1: in the field. Yes, yes, of course. Yes, of course, of course. I would say that the starting point should be is really they need to ask themselves what they're interested in to begin with. Yeah. Um, I can understand the, the, the external circumstances and, you know, the drive to go and get a valuable degree because it has to be valuable. Uh, so you're able to go and get uh, um, a job after that yeah. but also for them to be a little bit more critical as to what value means really um, you know um, and I can understand as a 17 year old it's not easy to, to engage critically with these sort of issues uh, but um, you know read, visit different universities talk to people talk to your friends but also to people at universities I think try to understand what different disciplines offer you know, even disciplines that are a little bit outside what you think you would like to explore. Because normally it's in those sort of gray areas that sometimes we find ourselves and find our interests. So it's more, you know, t- taking more of the explorative approach. That's, that's the only advice that I can give at this point, rather than being very much set on the type of the degree they want to pursue. That's a really great
0: advice. I would say that, you know, in my experience of deciding where I wanted to go, what subject I wanted to study, I actually started. um, I didn't didn't have the plan of doing media studies A-level. I actually started off with history, and I also did English and photography. Um, And it's because I had that misconception that, you know, media isn't a very serious subject to take. Um, You know, it's not a worthwhile thing you know oh media you know it's ev- everywhere around us but really that is the reason why people should maybe consider consider a future in media I think it's um very much underappreciated as an academic um subject and I ended up doing lots and lots of research into all the different degrees under the umbrella of media you know there's the, the one here at Warwick that I'm studying um is very different to the one at Leeds or the one at Cardiff or the one at Exeter um so I say for like people aspiring to a university, the more research you do, the more assured you're going to feel.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly. That's what I said. Take an explorative approach. Yes. Don't get stuck with one idea just because your teachers or a parent said, oh, this is a good degree for you. You know, Just read about it as you did, yes. you know, explore what kind of, you know, how is it approached in different universities? Uh, does it make you does it warm you inside you know does it make you feel that thing is this does it excite you at all? I think that's a very does it make you curious to learn more about it? yes yeah those are really good question to ask I think yeah yeah
0: i, I again that all of those things were very much like correlated to how excited I felt about the degree I was choosing and it was when I spoke to my friends and the ones maybe that maybe maybe made like hurried decisions at the last minute because you know the UCAS deadline was coming up and they had to put down five choices yes and they were like well how did you know that you wanted to do that I was like well I did loads of research and they were like oh well I just went for five degrees that said the same thing and they come from good universities and what I found was is that there was a sort of a link that when I spoke to them later on when they started their degrees there was a slight dissatisfaction with the degree as a whole, because they hadn't
1: fully explored oh, yes.
0: Um, yes. their options.
1: Yes, and it is and it's sometimes heartbreaking to see that, because they start feeling, okay, I've pretty much wasted my time and my money, yeah. and this really is not what I enjoy, what I like. So, so yes, I think they, they do need to go through that kind of a exploratory phase. And, and it, can, it can be very difficult, because you're, you know, year 12, you know, trying to make sense of, of the pressure of the a levels yes, and yeah of all the lessons that you need to, to to get to so and sometimes students feel that there is not enough time to engage in that kind of open-ended explorative process but it is so necessary
0: yeah yeah i'd say i think also having um people come in to give an insight into like maybe the future careers that you can have in a field so for example I go back to my secondary school once a year and I give a talk to the photography students there um, because I was once a photography student there doing GCSE and A-level photography. Yes. Um, And I sort of tell them about what I'm doing in my degree, what um, my part-time job is, all the experience I've had in the creative industry so far because I know I would have found that so valuable at a younger age in understanding where my actual passions were. Yes. Because it's so confusing when you're studying so many subjects, especially at GCSE, you sort of think oh i'm just passionate about everything yes. when in reality it's just because you're doing everything at once yeah so i think the more that people especially people from social um yeah, socioeconomic backgrounds that are maybe more disadvantaged the more advice they get the more support they get the more access to services that they have outside of you know their home and um, environment the better informed their choices are going to be
1: certainly for those families and these children <laughs> accessing services, any form of services, from advice to actual, you know, information, to people talking to them, coaching, any opportunities that they can access, I think that are quite crucial. So, would you say that
0: um, people in higher education, so people at university, have you you conducted any, because I haven't extensively studied all of your um, academic research, because there's just so much of it. is there any like interesting findings you've made from people in higher education about um, you know what they've achieved, what their what their careers are like after they've graduated university?
1: Not so much, I'm afraid, in that with that particular demographic group. No, I have right. done much research. Most of my research has been for children and, and adolescents. Right, yes. But I can say something, you know, that related to the previous conversation. We had one of the most recent Uh, research studies that I've done was trying to examine exactly what effects COVID had um, on what we call invisible children and adolescents. And these tend to be um, uh, young people with caring responsibilities, uh, young people with mental health and behavioral difficulties, as well as those who experience significant poverty. You Know these tend to be referred to as the invisible children, yeah. And and really, um, and and I was looking into post 16 choices, you know, asking questions about um uh, uh whether they plan to choose um A levels and Evan? and pursue higher education studies, yeah. And 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 what I found was that, which is not surprising at all, of course, that uh, particularly children with kids. And young people with caring responsibilities, those who are carers in the families, because a family member may uh, have you know health difficulties, physical health or mental health difficulties. So this this was actually the most disadvantaged group in terms of of their, their aspirations for the future. Um, and and that was quite really a sad finding because um, Particularly these young people seem to be in, truly invi- invisible yeah. in, in, in terms of services, accessing services, in terms of being provided with support. Uh, they tend to be you know, kids who don't miss quite a lot of school because of their caring responsibilities. Um, and, th- and they feel you know, that they reach a point that they feel actually higher education is not for me. It's yeah. certainly not realistic. Um, option for me because that's not something I can ever achieve. Yeah. Um. Again, it goes back uh, again to try to really understand uh, the invisible young people in, in society.
0: Yeah, that's like I, I had no idea that I had some awareness, obviously, of um, children who are young carers. There was actually at my school, secondary school growing up, there was like a young carer support network. Yes. Um. But I didn't know anyone myself who was a young carer. And I had no idea to the extent that uh, it impacted, you know, their perspectives
1: of pursuing higher education. I mean, if you look at students in higher education, how many carers are you going to find? That's, I think that's a very interesting question. I mean, they miss, you know, uh, summer schools or university days, you know, they miss all these things. And and they live in a sort of a context where uh, their needs are very much neglected
0: yeah okay i think i think we're gonna wrap up there because i feel like we've had a really good session it's coming up for 40 minutes thank you so much um, for this interview it was really really interesting
1: yeah thank you for inviting me and uh, thank you for this interesting conversation
0: that's all right yeah thank you so much